Hi, welcome to the Sound Wisdom Podcast. I'm Jennifer Janicek, Director of Content Strategy for Sound Wisdom. And today we are here with, with Philip Van Hooser, author of the new book, Earning the Right to be Heard, get it on the screen, Sell Your Ideas, Build Your Influence, Grow Your Opportunities. Um, Philip is a um, award-winning speaker, Hall of Fame speaker, and author of numerous books, um, this being the most recent. Also author of We Need to Talk, Building Trust When Communicating Gets Critical, and Willie's Way, uh, Six Secrets for Wooing, Wowing, and Winning Customers and Their Loyalty. So thanks so much for being with us here today, Phil. Well, Jen, this is great. I'm impressed. You put those W's together pretty well there. So nice job. It's all that Dr. Seuss, you know, you get really good at the tongue twisters, right? Well, we're excited to talk about your new book. Um, it's on a topic that, you know, is, is so crucial for professionalism. Um, it really offers a fabulous methodology for um, getting your ideas heard by decision makers. So I thought we could talk a little bit about some of the ideas uh, that you discuss in this book for readers who might not have encountered your process before um, or the book and, and hopefully give them a little bit of a, a teaser to read the full program because it's really something you have to work your way entirely through um, to get the, the full value. Um, so first I want to talk a little bit about um, myths and misconceptions about influence building because I thought that was really neat how you demystified the process of interacting with decision makers and you know um, having your ideas heard and approved. So I think a lot of people, one, they probably don't really think about that whole process very much. They just sort of jump you know, into a discussion with the decision maker and um, are frustrated then, as you note in your book, when their ideas aren't even you know, heard, that's certainly not approved. So what do you think that most people get wrong about um, influence building, about the process of you know, applying for their ideas or initiatives to be approved. What do most people get wrong about that process? Well, I think what you said is important from two standpoints. You said this book helps demystify the process from the standpoint of the employees and being, have, being heard and their ideas being heard by decision makers. But I would argue that we also need to demystify the process of what what decision makers would expect from their employees. For example, <clears throat> a lot of people are very hesitant to take an idea to their decision maker because the decision maker has this elevated position title or maybe more years of experience or maybe more education or whatever. I have worked for over 40 years with upper level decision makers. I actually was in those kind of positions myself early on. And the reality that I found is just the opposite. Employees should not be intimidated or, or hesitant to take ideas to decision makers. In fact, decision makers are hungry to hear those ideas. The problem is not the idea itself, but how the idea is presented. Now, for many people, when they finally do work up the courage or more, as we talk about in the book, and become more passionate and more, more emotional about a particular topic, they go in at the wrong time with the wrong state of mind, and therefore they do themselves and their idea more harm than good. 
Mm -hmm. Demystifying would simply say what we really need to do is think through the process, but don't think about it the way we normally would think about it. Instead, do our best to think about how the decision maker might think about this process, what he or she might want or need from us, and then hopefully deliver it, deliver our information, deliver our idea in a way that would be well received by that decision maker. From my standpoint, that is really the process of demystifying the whole the whole undertaking. It's not as hard as we want to make it. It's frankly pretty simple, but it's also very strategic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. The idea that you know, we shouldn't be scared to approach decision makers because they do want to hear our ideas. You know, most of the time they're not, you know, um, they don't discourage hearing new insight and in fact want people to take the initiative to propose ideas. Um, It's just, it has to be the right time, the right place, uh, the right, you know, the right method. Certainly not, you know, just jumping somebody on in the hallway when they're walking and, and, you know, thrusting an idea at them and expect them to have an answer right then. Um, So that's definitely one misconception about decision makers. And you talk about uh, a few, a few others in the book. So what, what would you say that we should understand about decision makers besides the fact that, you know, they want to hear our ideas? Um, What else should we know, you know, about decision makers that'll help us formulate the right approach to applying for our ideas to be heard? I think the most important thing that I could tell your viewers, your listeners uh, about that particular question is that decision makers make decisions in the way that they were trained or prepared to make decisions over time. And what we, those of us who want our particular ideas or our initiatives to be heard and to be responded to or reacted or approved as the case might be, What we don't recognize is that we are not going to talk them into something simply because of emotion and passion. Mm -hmm. We may be emotional and we may be passionate about our idea, but we we gotta understand that our decision makers don't share that same level of passion and emotion. Now, I'm not saying they aren't passionate and emotion. I'm not saying they don't appreciate your passion and emotion. I'm just saying that that is not going to influence their decision making. Mm -hmm. They were trained as managers, supervisors, people in charge and responsible for certain things. They were made, they were trained to make decisions based on, based on logic and rationale, not passion and emotion. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with passion and emotion as long as it's steeped in logic and rationale. But when logic and rationale are hard to find or missing completely, it's hard for me to get excited. And I think most decision makers would agree with me. It's hard for me to get excited about your idea that you want me to approve when I see no logic, rational, no logical, rational approach for business. So I think that's the second thing that is important for individuals to know. If we can think like a decision maker and understand specifically the logic and the rationale they follow in making their decisions, then it changes everything. It makes it so much easier for us to prepare because we're preparing ourselves with information they, the decision maker, wants and needs to know, not just something that we're throwing at them in the heat of passion and emotion. Yeah, and that is so helpful. And that's something that your book does such a great job is putting us in the shoes of a decision maker because it really is a reframing. You know, we, we get, we're so focused on our own worldview, how we are seeing the situation. 
we definitely, you know, usually don't consider the perspective of the decision maker. And we've also been trained so many books on persuasion and negotiation right. teach us to leverage our emotions. You know, it's, it's how you, you phrase your words, you know, can you be smooth talking enough to convince somebody to persuade somebody, but really um, decision makers, as you noted, um, are, you know, if they're, the really good decision makers need that logic and rationale and your you know the method of of creating these proofs which you'll have to buy the book to see them because they're there are examples in the book that really just walks you through exactly what you need to share with the decision maker and how you can prepare that evidence that you you know referenced is really a new way of approaching the art of persuasion of, of negotiation so that's um, you, I will tell you, you and I both uh, uh, are students of persuasion. I think everyone should be. We're, we're impacted by and we can impact others by way of persuasion in various areas of our lives, professionally, personally, socially, whatever it may be. But I will tell you that I believe the best way to persuade someone is to connect with them. Mm. Not trying to talk them into something, not trying to be a smooth talker, not trying to be one step ahead of them in the process. But if we can make a connection and bring two people together on a particular subject, if that person is not intimidated or fearful that they are going to be taken advantage of or, or abused some way by the other person, then a, <clears throat> excuse me, a connection can be made and real communication can follow. And that's really all that earning the right to be heard is about, is how can we communicate a very specific idea, something we're trying to sell to decision makers at a particular moment in time, in a way that the decision maker can connect with so that we can in fact, hopefully walk away with a good decision. Now, remember one of the things, and you know this, but your, your viewers may not yet know this, there's two objectives. There's a primary objective and a, motive and a secondary objective for earning right to be heard process. The, some would say, well, the primary objective is obvious, to get what you want. I mean, if you want to be heard, that's to get what you want to sell your ideas. And I would say, yes, that's obvious. It just doesn't happen to be right in this case. Mm -hmm. The secondary objective is to earn the right to be heard, excuse me, to get what you want. But the mm -hmm. primary objective is to earn the right to be heard. I want decision makers every time I walk in their office and say, can I talk to you? They want, I want them to want to hear what I have to say based on the fact that in the past, I've proven myself to be quite capable of talking and communicating logically, rationally with them on, on topics of mutual interest, but in ways that they need it. So we're trying to get what we want, certainly, but we're also trying to, for the long term, earn the right to be heard and respected and therefore our influence grows over time and as the subtitle says we sell our ideas we build our influence we grow our opportunities that's the entire in intent behind the process yeah i really like what you said about you know the focus should be on relationship building and not pushing somebody in your direction and yeah as somebody who really appreciates you know the art of rhetoric the art of persuasion um you know i would say that the goal of persuasion effectively done is not just to get some to win somebody over to your idea but to achieve consensus right which is basically you know what you're talking about and bringing somebody together we each sort of move in a direction that advances both of our goals um, in a productive way and yeah absolutely the oh did you want to 
Oh, I'm sorry. One, I was just going to say, you reminded me of something. One of the things that I mentioned, I won't go into detail on it here, but I mentioned in the book that you can get what you want and yet still lose the opportunity yes. to be heard in the future. And a lot of people don't think about it that way. Mm -hmm. If we get what we want, it's a win-win, right? No, it could be a win-lose. Right. I, I was introduced to a poem. I'm sorry, I don't know who the author of that poem was many years ago, but it comes in my head often. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You know, we can talk people into things in the moment because we find a figure out a way to get someone over the figurative barrel. Mm -hmm. But that's not a way to build influence and build relationships and build an ongoing trust relationship for the long term. So I'm always about the long term. What can we do so that we will have a long term relationship, not a short term win? Yeah. And that was one of my questions was, you know, given that your primary objective should be earning the right to be heard for the long haul, you know, growing your influence and opportunities. How does this affect the way you approach, you know, um, selling your ideas and positioning them. And I think you've answered that quite nicely, focusing on the relationship and, you know, uh, not trying to just get somebody over to your side uh, because it can build resentment and, you know, um, damage the relationship if people feel like they're being brought on against their will or pressured into doing something. You, know, you, you have a really good example in the book about, uh, you know, somebody who's really upset at work and they come in and they threaten, you know, I'm going to quit right now if, you know, you don't you know, fix this or address this or whatever. And the, of course, the supervisor is going to say, you know, if they're in a if they're in a pinch, they're going to feel like, OK, we'll do whatever, you know, just stay. But yes, you may have achieved your goal in the short term, but in the long term, you know, they could be looking for somebody else to fill your position if that's the way you've approached this. You know, will they really listen to your ideas in the long run when they know that that's how you approach it's really it's really hard to soften someone's opinion after they feel like they have been manipulated, coerced, intimidated into a decision. They may be able to continue the relationship on some level, but it's never going to be as, as deep, as meaningful, as as trusting and, as it would be if we built on a solid foundation as opposed to on a foundation that is constantly shifting in some way. So I appreciate the fact that you remember that uh, that uh, example and maybe it'll be an example that others that are watching today might might find some value in as well. Yeah, I think it's definitely a relatable one because we can all, I mean, everybody can just feel, you know, um, if they want to fly off the handle sometimes and you really got to dial back and think, am I going to really achieve my objectives if I am really forceful with my approach? But one of my, I think one of my favorite points in the book is probably very random, um, but it, it's, a, it's your point about small talk. And you say, you know, small talk is not a great way to open a meeting where you're going to sell your ideas. And um, it's just so fascinating to me. Uh, I, I'd love to hear more about why, why that's ineffective. Of course, I know from reading the book, but um, and and, you know, does it have a time and place? And what do you do instead? You know, how are you supposed to open a meeting if you're not going to talk about the fact that the Braves just won the World Series? <laughs> and, you know, um, 
or you know the weather or something else you know random to sort of build that relationship in a way but it can be detrimental to your purposes so i'd love to hear more about that well uh jen you know that you and i have had a number of conversations beyond what we're talking about here and you know that i do love small talk and i know that you're expert in small talk it conversation and interacting with individuals that's how relationships are born that's how relationships are grown over time but in certain situations i think small talk can actually be a detriment to the relationship as opposed to some sort of benefit to it and in the case of selling ideas important ideas, uh, uh, foundational ideas, I think small talk can get in the way. And the reason for it is simple. <clears throat> if in fact I come in and you are the decision maker and I'm selling you or intending to sell you on some idea or initiative that's important to me, you pretty much know this is going to happen. You pretty much know that this is not just a random conversation. As I outlined in the book, I've asked for a meeting. I have an idea that I want to run by you. So if we finally come to that meeting and the first five or 15 or 30 minutes of that meeting is spent, I would argue wasted in small talk, it actually creates a, a, a level of, of anxiety, a level of frustration, a level of concern on the part of the decision maker that number one, this person who's asked for my time and who I've so freely given my time to is taking advantage of my time. I have other things that I need to do. The second thing they tend to think is he or she doesn't know what they want to get to, that they don't, they're not as convinced about their ability to share this idea as I hoped or thought that they might be. And then the third thing, of course, is that small talk is hiding something, that they're actually trying to camouflage or trying to somehow put a cover over a topic by, by talking about things that are unimportant and therefore avoiding talking about things that are obviously crucially important. So I'm a, I am love small talk. I, I, love, I love to have a conversation over a dinner, a conversation in some so, sort of social situation, but we need to recognize the difference between social communication and business communication and, and not, uh, not take either one of them too lightly. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's just a really fascinating idea. And I think one that most people don't, wouldn't have ever thought of before how that could be detrimental. And also for anybody who doesn't know Phil, he, he is good at small talk, but he really asks the deep questions. So I think, I think your, your small talk is on a more meaningful level than most people's small talk. So well, I'll give you that. I'll take that as a huge compliment, Jen. Thank <laughs> you very much. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I think we'll end with uh, this one question here. So you've been teaching this process for a while. So even though, you know, this book is sort of the culmination of right. years of teaching this method at your workshops and, um, you know, seminars, and so many people have benefited from it. There are a number of really fabulous success stories in the book. I was just wondering if you have a favorite success story, either one mentioned in the book or one that you, you didn't write about in the book. What is your favorite success su success story from people implementing this process? Jen, thank you for, for, first of all, mentioning that I've trained on this subject topic for many, many years, literally over 25 years. And the, I just finally got around to writing it because of the pandemic. I had time at home. I had time to sit down and work on that. Um, 
there are probably more success stories that I have forgotten than I'm able to recall because we have done it so many times with so many different organizations for so long that I'm sure people have come to me and said, you know, this really helped me or this was one of the things uh, that I took from this and was able to put into play, etc. But one of my favorite um, success stories, if you will, is included in the book and it just happened not too long ago in fact um, i had a young man who approached me and he was interested he was an engineer working for a, a big engineering company and doing very very well he liked his company he liked his organization he liked his job he liked his boss and yet he was dissatisfied in that he wanted to try something on his own and so rather than you know just go in and quit willy-nilly that wasn't his that wasn't his um, his style if you will or his personality he began the process of searching out a place and he was very methodical in the process which fits very nicely with my my process uh, finding a place to actually plant himself so that he could uh, began and grow his own engineering firm. And it was during this process that he came to me and he said, Phil, I know pretty much what I want to do. I'm just not sure. I don't, I don't want to miss some obvious things. I don't want to, I don't want to take anything for granted. So will you kind of walk through me, sort of be my eyes and ears. And so often I fall back on the five questions that are contained in the earning the right to be heard process. I won't go into those questions just now, but those five questions are, demonstrably uh, important. And so during various conversations, he and I would, he would, I would have a conversation and, and uh, I would ask you these questions. Oftentimes I'm happy to report he had already thought about it and prepared for those. There were a couple of times when I caught him and he goes, oh man, I hadn't thought about that. I need to work on that. And he'd go away and he'd come back and, and it was great. And so this took place, <coughs> excuse me, it took place over the course of several months and uh, finally he came to me one day and he said, uh, well, I'm ready. I said, you're ready for what? He said, I'm ready. I'm going to go into my boss next week and I'm going to tell him I'm quitting. I'm ready to take the step. Now, I don't mind telling you that I was a little fearful because up until that point, it had been an exercise. It had been us talking about things. But now he's ready to pull the trigger and, and take action. I didn't question the process and I didn't question his commitment or his intelligence or his, or his, you know, his persevering attitude or any of that. I just, I, I didn't want to want to have misled him in any way. Well, anyway, the day came when he was going to give his, uh, his, uh, his resignation. And I told him, I said, I want you to call me tonight. I want to hear all about it. And he promised he would. And sure enough, that night he called and, and I thought it was very humorous, uh, the way the conversation started, I said, so how did it go today? His first words were, I suck at quitting. <laughs> and I said, what? He went on to say that he went in and caught his boss completely off guard with this resignation. And the boss wanted to know what he was unhappy about. He said, I'm not unhappy. I'm not unhappy in any way. You've been great to me. In fact, the hardest part about this move is leaving this organization, but I'm leaving for something. I'm not running from something. And the boss says, tell me, tell me your story. Tell me about it. And he proceeded, the boss, 
proceeded to ask, in essence, the five questions that are contained in the in the earning the right to be pro- heard process. Of course, this young man was prepared with those answers for those qu- five questions, and he responded in kind. And here's the cool part: at the very end, the boss says, "You're not quitting." He goes, "Well, yeah, I am." He goes, "No, you're not quitting." He said, "I'm going to help you realize your dream, but you're going to do it for us. I'm going to send you to the city that you want to go to. I'm going to start the organization, start the the business. I'm going to put you in the general manager's role." In other words, he gave him everything that he wanted, and yet took from him all of the risk associated with this particular process. Yeah. It's the most practical way that I've ever seen. Not only of getting what you want. But earning the right to be heard individually and personally at the highest levels possible, and it was just very gratifying to me. And and my young friend was just absolutely beside himself in terms of the excitement that went with the process. Now I realize that's a little long story, but you asked for my favorite or one of my favorite stories. That has got to be one of my favorite stories, at least in recent days. That's a great story, and there are so many success stories mentioned in the book. And what's great is it's a range of, you know, things that people were wanting, you know,、um, different ideas and initiatives that people were wanting to、um, have heard and be approved. And, you know,、um, I think what's really unique about this book too that I, I want to mention, and you talk about how、um, it, it can be that yes, this method would work. In in essence, for selling a tangible product, but it is that much harder to sell an idea or an initiative, and that's something that this process really、um, prepares individuals for. And so,、um, if you haven't already done so, everybody should go、um, get a copy of this book, "Earning the Right to Be Heard: Sell Your Ideas, Build Your Influence, Grow Your Opportunities." Leaders, you know, it makes a great、uh, book for your team. I know how you mentioned people go to your seminars and they're, and they're like, "Well, what if my boss knows that I'm using this process on him? You know, isn't it going to be less powerful?" And you're and you were like, "No, you know, they they hired me to be here, right? Like they want you to use a, a tested, you know, proven method for presenting your ideas in a way that helps the whole organization." So you know, this book is is just so powerful for anybody looking to grow. You know their own professionalism, but also you know for leaders who are looking to develop their teams as well. So thanks so much for being here with us, Phil. Is there anything else that you wanted to to add or share before we end? Jen, I, I, the only thing I would say is first of all, thank you for calling attention and shining a bright light on this book and the importance of it in the workplace and the importance、mm-hmm. of it in an individual's growth and development professionally.、Mm-hmm. The second thing I would say is thank you for being such an advocate from start to finish for this book and all that you've done. I, I appreciate you, and I appreciate Sound Wisdom. I appreciate others who have gotten behind the book at various levels around the country, and I'm excited to see people that will benefit from it. Maybe I'll have even more stories,、yes. success stories, to be able to share if and when we have another conversation down the road. I'll look forward to that. Yeah, that's right. Find Phil on social media and share those stories of people. You know, as you implement this method, you know, share those with us. We'd love to hear them. So, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you for being here, and、um, we look forward to hearing about your your success. <laughs>